0: What we've been doing as we start each week during this series on prayer is by reciting a prayer from the scriptures, specifically from the book of Psalms. And so Erin Lynn's going to come, and she's going to read for us Psalm 3 as we get ready to enter into our teaching time. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 3, prepare your hearts, and we'll get going. Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek." you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Thank you. Good morning, Sound City. How are we doing? Good? Four of you are good. It's good to see you. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If we've not yet met, I'm really thankful to have this opportunity to gather together to celebrate Jesus, to open his word, And to uh, today conclude a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. We've been going for now six weeks through the Lord's Prayer, line by line, and looking at how Jesus instructed his disciples, indeed how Jesus instructs us to pray. Today we find ourselves looking at the final phrase in the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so before we dive into the teaching for today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite everyone, if you would, to stand. We'll say the Lord's Prayer all together, and then I'll pray, and we'll dive into the subject matter at hand. Let's say this out loud together, if you please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, we come to you today knowing that uh, the world is indeed in many ways a very broken place. God, there is uh, evil all around us and there is evil even within us. And God, our prayer today is that you would, in fact, deliver us from evil. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that all who call on you as as Christians, all who call on you as sons and daughters, we have been delivered from evil because of the victory that Jesus Christ secured for us on the cross. God, I pray you'd send your spirit here to be present with us now. God, help me to only teach your truth and help all of us to hear and receive the truth from your word. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. In the early 1960s, there was a movie theater in Ohio that found themselves in the middle of a really significant controversy because in the early 60s, they showed a movie, a French movie, a controversial French movie uh, that was controversial specifically because of its uh, explicit sexual content. The county where the movie theater resided received a $2,500 fine for indecency and contributing to public indecency and the the movie theater fought back and said we haven't done anything wrong the movie is not indecent and this went back and forth in the courts and eventually it made its way all the way to the supreme court of the united states in the year 1964 the supreme court heard this case is this movie theater guilty of committing the lawless act of committing of of contributing to public indecency And what really became the hinge of this case, what really became uh, the crux of it all, was trying to, with clarity and with accuracy, to define the word pornography. Eventually, the Supreme Court decided that, in fact, this movie theater had not broken any public indecency laws, and they uh, were not fined, and they were let off. During the... The the follow-up of that case, there was a really famous statement that came out of this Supreme Court case. One of the justices, a justice named Potter Stewart, in his written remarks afterward, agreeing with the decision, said, and this is a paraphrase, but he says, I can't today define the word pornography with any certainty, but I know it when I see it. And this is not it. And he agreed with the decision that they had not, in fact, shown pornography When you and I come today to this phrase, deliver us from evil, I think that you and I have a similar amount of uncertainty about the word evil. You and I may struggle to put a textbook precise definition to the word evil, but how many of you would agree that you know it when you see it? I don't know if you're aware or paying attention, but there's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of evil in the world. If you're on social media as I am, or as many of you are, if you're watching the news or paying attention, you may have seen uh, some stories come through this last week or so. Uh, for example, an image that has been shared millions and millions of times of a, of a young little boy, lifeless body washed up on the shore after his family was fleeing, uh, persecution and oppression in Syria. They were trying to escape and their boat capsized and the little boy drowned. That's evil. That type of violence and, and oppression is evil. This week, I read a story where... This happened last year, but the news story was just released that a a teenage girl spent the better part of a week sending harassing text messages to her boyfriend, encouraging him to take his own life and to commit suicide. And after a week of harassing and her uh, telling him he needed to just do it, the young man ended up taking his life. And the prosecutors uh, this week in the news report said that her only motivation was to gain sympathy by being the girlfriend of someone who committed suicide. That's evil. In recent weeks, we've seen Dozens of videos surface in which doctors and medical professionals are talking about the removal of a human baby from the uterus and the womb of a mother and the the baby being uh, chopped up into pieces and the body parts being sold for profit. Church, that's evil. Or maybe you've heard in the last couple of weeks a couple of uh, fairly prominent and well-known pastors... These are not the the usual charlatans on TV. Both of these pastors are are, are actually known for being uh, very biblically astute and biblical solid Bible teachers, but two different men have now uh, resigned from their posts due to sexual immorality. One man actually had an affair, was removed from his position, and he and his wife are actually going through a divorce. Another man was caught with his name and email address on the Ashley Madison Affair website list that came out in the last week or two. And so there are two pastors, there are two churches today who are grieving. Devastation of loss of teaching pastors due to sexual immorality. Church, that's evil. We sometimes get in this mindset that the evil today is so much worse than it's ever been and we can say, you know, we bemoan these things. Uh, I would submit to you there's nothing new under the sun. We're just finding new access to see the evil played out in front of us with the proliferation of social media and television cameras. 2,500 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Woe to those who trade light for darkness and darkness for light. Woe to those who trade sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. Woe to them. Nothing new. 2,500 years ago, people were still trying to define right and wrong on their own terms apart from what God says is right and what is wrong. In fact, it's been that way ever since Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, We want to be in charge of the definition of good and evil. But, church, only God gets to define what is right and what is evil. Amen. I don't know if the world's getting that much worse or if we're just seeing things now that we maybe were blind to before. And if you're paying attention to social media, if you're paying attention to the news, how many of you know that it's actually somewhat easy to get outraged about all of the evil out there? But here's the rub Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, if you have looked at someone with lustful intent, then morally you are actually guilty of the sin of adultery. Same as someone who actually followed through on the act. Jesus said, if you have looked at your brother with hatred in your heart, then you may not have committed the actual sin of murder, but morally your heart is in the same place. It is really Easy to get worked up and agitated and angry about the sin and the evil out there, but Jesus' hard word for us is, yeah, but what about the evil in here? The news is bad. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church. The situation is far worse than we like to admit. In particular, about ourselves, about our own hearts—the evil that that resides. The world is a very broken place. Some of you might be on the, you know, the fr- the fight or fright thing. Some of you might be the 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 flight people who want to kind of plug your ears and oh, it's not that bad. Evil's not that bad. The world's not that bad. I am inviting you today, along with the most trustworthy book that's ever been written, the Bible, to look full weight at how bad the problem really is. Because then you're going to see how beautiful our solution is, our savior, Jesus Christ. I have some really good news for you today, Sound City. But it's in the light of looking at the bad news, full weight, that we get to see how good the good news. The good news is this, even though we're engaged in a battle, we have a champion, his name is Jesus Christ. The good news is that he has defeated evil through his death and through his resurrection. And the good news is that even though you look around at the world and it looks like evil continues to rage and when you look at your own heart and it seems like evil is still present in ways that we we wish it wasn't, I have the good news and the privilege of telling you that the decisive battle was won 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ and the back of evil has been defeated, has been broken, and one day Christ will return to finish the job that he started and all evil will be dealt with once and for all. That's good news, amen? I hope you need some good news because the reality is, is the world is a very broken place. I'm, I'm gonna tell you this. My hope today, I have, I have a, a singular goal. My hope in, in sharing with you today what I have to share with you is I want to inspire you to engage in the battle. I want to inspire you to engage in the battle. That's it. I don't want to uh, do a, a, a PhD level survey of the problem of evil. Look, theologians and scholars and philosophers have been trying for literally millennia to nail down exactly what is evil. What is evil? Is it, you know, is it the, a parasite on the good? Is it privation of good? Is it, is it something itself? Is it just the negative? And, and they, they, they can go on and on about it. Meanwhile, you and I are sitting here looking at situations in our lives that are just evil that we have to deal with. You know, I I just quoted a handful from the news. I didn't quote the things that are going on in your life. And I only talked about moral evil. I didn't even talk about natural evil. I didn't talk about, you know, the windstorm that we had last week killing two people because of trees falling over on them. How do we deal with that? I want to inspire you to engage in the battle. There is a battle raging, and it starts with understanding that we have an enemy. 1 Peter 5 says this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, that word your, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. When people want to attack or to mock or to malign the Christian faith, one of the common places that they go is the Christian belief in the evil supernatural forces known as demons or Satan, fallen angels. The Bible teaches very clearly that we have an enemy. And I would submit to you, if if it's not illogical to believe in God and angels, then why would it be illogical to believe in Satan and demons? The Bible teaches that Satan is not an equal to God. He is a created being. He, in fact, was an angel who served in God's presence, but he rebelled. He said, I want to be God. I want to be like God. And he fell. He was kicked out of heaven and all of those who followed with him as well. We call him Satan and we call fallen angels demons. That's the reality that the Bible teaches us. And what's interesting is in 1 Peter 5, he says this, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil. So Satan's not just opposed to God, he is opposed to God's people. You have an enemy. Sometimes we we need to be woken up to these foundational truths that help us be, be mindful of the fact that we are engaged in a battle. We have an enemy, the enemy of our souls. He was God's enemy first, but all who have been brought into the family of God, all who have been brought into the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus are now enemies of Satan. Second thing I want you to know is we have a battle. Not only do we have an enemy, we have a battle. Do you understand the difference between a wartime mentality and a peacetime mentality? Uh, before World War II, I'm not a World War II scholar, but before World War II, the United States of America had a bit of a peacetime mentality. Wow, it's really sad that there's a war going on over there in Europe. Wow, uh, isn't it good that we're having economic success? Aren't we, aren't we doing well? And then because we had a peacetime mentality, because we had let our guard down, we had the devastating attack on Pearl Harbor. We didn't have our defenses ready. And the same is true spiritually. There is a battle going on. If you are a Christian, you maybe didn't realize that you signed up for a battle, but you're in the battle. And if you're a Christian, you're on the winning side of the battle, but it's still hard, amen? If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to understand there is no such thing as spiritual Switzerland. You're still in the battle. You're just on the wrong side. And the invitation today is join the kingdom of God. Be a part of the kingdom in which grace and mercy and righteousness and love rules but we're in a battle. The apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And he says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against rulers... Against the authorities, interesting words. Rulers and authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, so that if you engage in spiritual warfare, he says, when you because you're engaged in spiritual warfare, you need to put on the whole armor of God. And it's very interesting, these words that he uses. He says things like rulers and authorities uh, against cosmic powers. Like That sounds like something out of a Justice League comic book. right? The, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, as odd as this may sound to our 21st century Western Enlightenment rationalistic minds... There is a war raging all around us right now that we do not see. It is taking place in the spiritual dimension and it has very real effects on you and on me. We're in a battle. We cannot afford to have a peacetime mentality. As Christians, we, we don't have a peacetime mentality in which we say, we'll just go with the flow. We have an enemy, we have a battle, but the good news is we have a guaranteed victory. We have a guaranteed victory victory. Not only has Jesus won, but Jesus will win. Two verses I want to take you to. Colossians 2.15 says that he, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, Jesus. Here's Here's what this is saying. Think about crucifixion. When you think about crucifixion, crucifixion is not only death, it's not only a painful death, but it's a humiliating death. That's the point of crucifixion is to humiliate someone and to say to the onlooking audience, if you try any shenanigans, you're going to get the same. It was, a, it was a way to instill fear in the hearts of the people. A person was, was beaten, was flogged mercilessly, was stripped literally naked, and nailed on a cross and put up high where people can see them. And in this moment of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, it looked like the ultimate defeat of God. It looked like the ultimate humiliation of the Son of God. It looked like an absolute shameful failure of a project. And in that moment, I think that Satan, maybe God gave Satan like 10 seconds of just gloating. Before God, realized, before God made Satan realize that in this moment that looked like the, the greatest victory for Satan was actually the most humiliating defeat because in the death of Jesus, we have life. And in the death of Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. And in the death of Jesus, we have grace and mercy and peace. We have right relationship restored with the Father. It looked like a humiliating loss for God, but in fact, the scripture tells us in Colossians 2 that it was a humiliating defeat for Satan. It's like, like a Ronda Rousey fight, like just not even, not even, you blink and you miss it, right? Jesus defeated the forces of evil at the cross. The decisive battle has been won. However, how many of you know that the war continues to rage on? What, what the Bible says is that Jesus has won this victory. Jesus has defeated the forces of evil, but Until the day that he returns, there still will be evil, and the evil forces will still rage. They are restrained now, and they will be annihilated in the future. I want to take you to this passage in Revelation 20. I actually want to read it uh, at length for a minute because um, it's actually kind of humorous, the way that that the Apostle John writes this. this. Is what he says, When the thousand years are ended... We'll come back to that some other time. Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like sand on the sea. All right, this is the final battle. All of the forces of evil, they're amassing, they're gathering, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and they surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. Now pause. This looks bad, right? This looks really bad. So many soldiers, the forces look like sand on the sea. They've got the people of God surrounded. This is going to be an epic battle. Oh, wait. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You blink, you missed it. All the forces of evil gathered. We're going to make war. Oh, fire. Boom, we're dead. Not much of a battle. We have a guaranteed victory in Jesus Christ. I want you to see this both on the cross and on the day of Jesus' return. The description is that it's not just a a defeat, but it's a decisive defeat. You know, if this was a, a fight, you wouldn't have to go to the judge's table to know who won. It's just an absolute crushing knockout. Jesus wins, church. Take heart. Jesus wins. We have an enemy. We have a battle The war is real. We're not just here running out the clock. There are real casualties. There are people who really do experience the devastating effects of evil in this time and in this place. But take heart, church. Jesus has overcome the world. And the victory is certain. So so that's a little bit about evil. That that, that part of the prayer, deliver us from evil, that makes sense, right? Right? God, deliver us from evil. Have you ever thought about the first half of this petition? Lead us not into temptation. Why would we pray that? Does God lead us into temptation? I thought the whole point of following God was that he would lead us away from temptation. Why am I praying, God, would you not lead me into temptation? God, I know you might decide today to lead me into temptation or not. I'm praying you'd lead me not into temptation. You ever thought about that? Part of this is for us to understand some of the, the, the translation differences in the Bible. And, and I don't do this often, but let me just start with something I think will be helpful for you. When we see this word, lead us not into temptation. The word in the Greek is perosmos. I don't do Greek very often, but I want to take you there so you can understand this. The word perosmos in the Greek, the original language, is it's kind of a neutral term. It doesn't mean good. It doesn't necessarily mean bad. It, it can be translated in a variety of ways. In our English, we see it translated as tempting. We also see it translated as testing. And we can also see it translated as trial. If you read through the pages of the New Testament, you see tempting, testing, or trial. Odds are it's this Greek word, perosmos underneath. And none of them, by the way, are comfortable. Tempting, testing, trial, none of it's comfortable. None of it's pleasant. But what I want you to understand is this when we have these trials, we have these testings, we have these temptations, God has a purpose and the enemy has a purpose. Both God has a purpose and the enemy has a purpose. Let's talk about, uh, uh, first of all, Satan's purpose. And this is, it's to tempt you to do evil. And God does not tempt anyone to do evil. I want to be really clear about this. James chapter one is crystal clear about it. So I want to be crystal clear about it. James 1, 12 through 15 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's our word, church, trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, you're going to have trials. You're going to endure testing. God loves you. You love him. Stick it out. And here's the warning. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. I'm going to read that again so we're really clear on this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Church, who bears the moral responsibility when we give in to temptation? We do. I know you weren't very enthusiastic about that question. Just so we're clear, it's us. When we undergo these times of trial, when we undergo these times of testing, when we undergo these difficulties, God is not tempting us to do evil. He himself is not tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. The moral responsibility, the culpability lies with us. And I know that we don't like to look at that. Sometimes I I talk with people after they've maybe committed some sin that was just very heartbreaking, very devastating, they'll say something like, I didn't want to do that. And I can understand and I can sympathize at the cognitive level, yeah, maybe they didn't want to do that. But you know, whenever we choose sin, we're always choosing what our heart loves. At some point, some level of the heart, when we say yes to sin, it's because we see that sin as more beautiful and more desirable than Jesus Christ. So when we sin, yes, maybe on the cognitive level, we didn't want to, but in our hearts, we love it. We're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desire. Well, the the sin was just so attractive. Yeah, to you, because of your heart. Here's Satan's goal. Satan's goal is to tempt you to do evil. Evil. God does not tempt you to do evil. God is not responsible when you say yes to evil. That's Satan's goal. When you undergo a time of hardship or a trial, Satan's goal is to get you to do evil. Number three, God, however, does allow us to be tested. Just going back a few verses, James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers. One of the just meanest verses in the whole Bible Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, when you meet, not if you meet, when you meet various trials, there's our word again, parasmos, various trials of different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, God loves you right where you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you right where you are. God allows us to undergo trials and difficulties in this life so that we can be challenged, we can be shaped, and we can grow to look more like Jesus. But it's hard. It's hard, amen? It's hard. It's like, it's like, It's like going to the gym. Exercise is awful. Can I just say that? Like you go to the gym, you work out, and it's like, I hurt. This can't be good for me. I feel terrible. But we know that it's good for us. We know that it's through the pushing and the pulling and the struggling that we actually grow in our health and in our strength, right? The same is kind of true spiritually. And how many of you know it's a process, right? You can't just go to the gym one time, do a few sit-ups, and then take your shirt off and flex in front of the mirror, although I know you have done that at some point. Some of you have done that. I know you have. But you have to keep going. You have to keep exercising. The Apostle Paul says physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is of value not just for this life, but the life to come. We go through these trials. We go through these testings so that God can shape us and grow us to look more like Jesus. Oh, it's encouraging, but it's kind of discouraging, right? God isn't there an easier way? Couldn't you just microwave me up some character? <laughs> you know, Easy character, right? Easy. It Doesn't work that way. God allows us to go through trials. God allows us to go through difficulties. Satan's desire is to have us fall into sin, but God's goal is to grow us and shape us to look more like Jesus. God does allow us to be tested. God never tempts us with evil. And here's the really good news. I hope you need more good news. I've got lots of good news today. 1 Corinthians 10 says that God will always provide for us in these times of trial and testing. If you have your Bible, flip over to 1 Corinthians 10 just briefly for a moment. I want you to to look at this. I'm gonna read this passage at length because I find its words very encouraging, even as they're kind of difficult. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, the apostle Paul is warning them against idolatry. And he's he's going over some Old Testament examples to say, look, this this did not go well for them. Don't follow their path. This did not go well for them. Learn from their bad example and, and avoid these traps. So in verse six, he says this, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. There's that desire again. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Sounds like a peacetime mentality, doesn't it? Eating, drinking, playing, not taking seriously that we have an enemy. We must not engage or indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. A very uh, stern act of judgment on God's part. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. Very interesting use of Christ in the Old Testament stories. I love that. As some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Listen to this. On whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. When you hear about somebody falling into sin, our response should be one of heartbreak, empathy, but also one of sober self-evaluation. Wow, I can't believe that they would do that. Hmm. What about your own heart? What about your own sinful tendencies? When, when, When we get outraged over the sin of others, I'm convinced it's because we're not looking in the mirror closely enough. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch, that's fine. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then here's one of the most often misquoted verses in the whole New Testament. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It's, it's common. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You guys, here's the good news. God's provision for us does not end at the moment of our salvation. When we say yes to Jesus and our sinfulness is washed away and we're brought into right relationship with God, God provides for us what we couldn't pay. God provided the blood of his own son Jesus to be a a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for us. But the great news is that even as we go through this life and we experience trials and temptations and testing, God is still always providing for us. He's so good, church. God is faithful and he will not allow you to experience something that is beyond the scope of what he will also not provide for you. This verse, this passage here is proof that God does in fact honor the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God delights in answering that prayer. He delights in giving you the strength that he himself will provide. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Amen, church? Our confidence is not in our own ability or our own strength. Our confidence is in our God who is faithful, even when we at times are faithless. God's provision for us doesn't just end at the moment of our salvation. It's a lifetime of provision as we face trials, as we face testing. You know, what's interesting to me is when we pray this, you know, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a, there's a, there's a request. God, this is gonna be hard. I know these challenges, these trials are gonna be difficult, but God, I'm trusting in you. Did you know that Jesus himself can actually relate this prayer that we pray? Jesus himself in the garden, the night of his arrest, the night of his betrayal, what did he pray? Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. This is going to be painful. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. God, I'm just admitting my dependence on you, but Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. When we pray Lead us not into temptation. We're saying, God, I, I don't know if I can do this. I, I know myself. I, I, I doubt my own strength. But deliver us from evil. God, my confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in you. I like the way that one commentator, R.C.H. Lensky, put it. He says this, two things stand out in this petition, the faith which dreads the fall and the assurance that in his own way, God will not let us fall. If you feel weak, welcome to the team. You're in the right place. If you feel strong in your own abilities, take heed. If you're crying out to Jesus, you're doing the right thing. And God's assurance for you is that he will keep you through all trials, through all tribulations, through all hardships. So how do we do this? Practically speaking, how do we stand? How do we engage in the battle? It's simple. We run. We run. We run from evil and we run to Christ. It's a both and. We see this principle in play first in Romans 16 where the Apostle Paul says, for us to be wise to what is good and to be innocent to what is evil. Church, we live in a day that is increasingly wiser and wiser about evil. And there can be a, a place where we, um, we want to go there because we feel like we need to be able to relate to people around us. But listen, uh, especially for any of you who are younger, I see you know some younger kids and teenagers in the room, Next time one of your friends makes fun of you because you don't know about the latest perverted thing on the internet, I want you to know that that's okay. God's okay with that. In the biblical economy, God is pleased when we're innocent of evil and we're wise about what's good. Don't feel like you have to know everything about everything. If you're gonna focus on one thing, be, be wise about what's good. But we run from evil, and we run to Christ. We need both. We resist the devil, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We do have to run away from sin. Sin is enticing, sin is attractive looking, sin is pleasurable for at least a little while, the Bible says, but we have to resist the devil. You and I live in a very uh, ease and comfort and convenience culture, would you agree? We like things our way, we like things right now, we like them quickly and doggone it if we gotta you know, put any effort into it. I saw this in my own life on full display last Saturday during the windstorm and the power was out. We were on a road trip and we were trying to get back. We did not have enough gas in our tank to make it all the way back home. And we the kids did not have enough gas in their tanks, so to speak, they were hungry. And so we were driving around looking for a gas station and a fast food place to just fill up both real quickly and then make our way back home. And we found one, I found a, a fast food joint that shall remain nameless uh, for legal reasons, but we found this fast food place and the lights were on. It looked like they had power Power, and we were so excited, and we were so happy that we're gonna be able to get the kids some, some chicken or something like that. And we pull up and I go in front of the drive through window I'm like, yes, hello, I'll have, and I start ordering silence, radio silence. Like, well, this is odd, maybe they're back, backed up. I kept talking, another car pulled up behind me like, well, now I just feel awkward because they're watching me. So I pull forward to the window, lights are on, Place is lit up like 4th of July, empty. No one was there. The jack popped out of the box. I don't know what happened. Like, and I felt in myself this anger, like, how dare they? On this day of all days, this windstorm inconvenience me. And now I'm gonna have to go drive across the parking lot to another place to try to feed my kids. I just saw it on full display. We like things to be easy, we don't like challenge very often. I need you to know in our battle against sin, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. It's not always gonna be easy. Christ will provide you the strength, but you need to run from sin. However, what's more than running from sin, because if all you're looking at is your sin, and if all you're looking at is evil, like I need to run from that, how long is that motivation gonna last? You're gonna burn out pretty quickly. You know what you need? You need a motivation of something to run towards, and that's our savior, Jesus Christ. It's not just run from sin. It's not just join an accountability group. It's no, what's, what's your heart gonna delight in? What's going to provide you the joy that you need day in and day out to engage in that battle, it's running to Jesus? Hebrews 2:17 through 18. I want to read this to you. I want you to see something that is so beautiful. It says this: that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Just chew on that for a second. Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a, what's the word? Merciful. And what's the next word? Faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Some of you men here today are really struggling with sexual temptation and lust. And I need you to know that the word of God says that Jesus understands the battle. Jesus is perfect. He never sinned, but it says that he was made like his brothers in every respect and that he has suffered when tempted. Jesus understands. Ladies, some of you are struggling with feeling insecure about body image or do I measure up or am I good enough? And I need you to understand that the word of God says that Jesus was made like his brothers, yes, and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful, merciful, merciful high priest in the service of God. Jesus doesn't look at you in your struggle and say, get it together. Our savior, our high priest looks at you and says, I get it, let's do it together. Is that encouraging to anyone? He has experienced it all. We don't see every story. We don't see every temptation. We don't see every trial in the life of Jesus. John actually tells us that there's so many things we don't even know about the life of Jesus. We we don't have enough books in the world to write it all down. But I need you to know that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was made like us in every respect and he's a merciful and faithful high priest because he's been there. I might not get it. Your spouse might not get it. Your closest friends might not get it. But Jesus, your high priest, gets it. And he cares and he helps. Let that fuel your battle against sin. Let that fuel your battle against evil. It's not just sin avoidance. Again, I think an accountability group is great if you're trying to avoid a particular sin. Go to your accountability group. But you need more than that. You need a vision of your precious, empathizing, loving, strong Savior, Jesus Christ. That will motivate you and fuel you for the battle that you're in. Let me, let me raise one last practical question before we conclude our time together today. And this is, this is a question that I often talk about more in personal conversations with people, but a question comes up, you know, am I experiencing spiritual attack? Is this spiritual warfare? I know that there's a battle going on, and I know that we're always, we're always involved in some level in the battle, but am I being attacked? Let's, let's answer this question a couple of ways. First one is this, yes, you are being attacked. <laughs> Are you a Christian and you're breathing? Yes, you are, you are experiencing some level, some level of spiritual attack. John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So far be it for me to be one of those preachers that says, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. That's not what he said. We come to Jesus and we know that we will experience trial, but he'll be with us. In that same verse, he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. We, 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 um, If you're a Christian, you are experiencing some level of spiritual attack because there's a battle going on. If you are a more effective soldier, then you should expect to be shot at more. Amen? How many of you just really got encouraged by me saying that, right? If you're doing what Christ wants you to do, if you are uh, being on mission with him, if you're sharing the love of Jesus with your neighbors, if you're praying with those who are hurting, if you're putting your sin to death by the power of Jesus and you're seeking to make an impact on the lives of others around you, then yes, the enemy is gonna absolutely step up his game with you. If you are just sitting on the sidelines, not engaged, well then you might not be experiencing much spiritual attack. You might just be experiencing plain old hardship of living in a fallen world in which there is a battle raging. So yes, you are experiencing, Christian, some spiritual attack. Number two, I want to remind you that the battle is for the mind. When we talk about spiritual warfare and spiritual attack, sometimes these Hollywood images can come to mind of people levitating and throwing up and their voice drops four octaves. I'm not saying that the enemy can't or never does that. And in fact, I have experienced a couple of things that have just blown my mind in my lifetime. However, 99% of the time when we're engaged in spiritual warfare, what we're going to see is it's a battle for the mind, truth versus lies. The most demonic thing that most all of us will experience is at some point in our life we to doubt the fact that our father loves us. That's demonic. Next time you hear someone say, I just don't think God loves me. That's demonic. Way more than any exorcism movie. The battle is for the mind. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through six The Apostle Paul is saying, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. There's a war going on, but it's it's different. It's not a physical battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are these strongholds? What are these forts that we're attacking? We destroy arguments, arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Satan is a liar. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. When we are engaged in the battle for truth versus lies, that is what spiritual warfare looks like most of the time. I have someone who I've met with recently a handful of times, and this person has struggled for decades to believe that they are worthy of receiving God's love. And just recently, there was a, a, a faint glimmer in this person's eyes. They says, you know what? I actually am starting to think that I have some value and that God might actually love me. It's like the walls of Jericho just fell down. That's spiritual warfare, folks. When you look at that friend, and you say, no, 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 no. That's not what God's word says. Here's what God's word says about you. That's spiritual warfare. You're not flinging holy water and throwing crucifixes at them. You're speaking the truth of the word of God to them. The battle is real. The battle is for the mind. And yes, there is such a thing as demonic harassment. There is such a thing as demonic harassment. There are times for a variety of reasons that the enemy may particularly seek to afflict someone with harassment, with oppression, with opposition. Um, I don't believe in the phrase, I don't, I don't ever use the word or the phrase demon possession uh, for two reasons. Number one, it's not in The Bible, it's it's not in in the New Testament. And second of all, possession implies ownership. And if you're a Christian, you are owned by God. There's no demon that can own you. However, evil spirits can harass and can oppress all sorts of people. Sometimes this is, um, for people, it's their thought life. And instead of hearing some of the normal things that people think, you know, common things, I should say, uh, you know, oh man, I'm, I'm not good. They hear it in a second person. You're not very good you're a failure. You, you, you. That might be the voice of the enemy. It's certainly not the voice of God. Sometimes people have opened themselves up to uh, evil spiritual forces because of of practicing false spirituality or witchcraft, dabbling in magic. Sometimes people have opened themselves up uh, to evil spirits through uh, experimenting with drugs. If the battles for the mind talk about letting your guard down, psychotropic drugs. You guys know that this is interesting in the word, in the Greek for magic is pharmakia, pharmacy. That's for afternoon conversation. Some of you are are experiencing thoughts of self-harm or harming others. That's not of God. I don't I don't have a, a manual. There is no manual in the in the Bible that says, when you hear this thought, it's this type of demon. We, we don't do that. We we know that all evil spirits are subject to Christ Jesus and will have to go under his authority. Amen? But I need you to know that sometimes demonic harassment is real. And if you find yourself in that place, I would encourage you to Ask God, is there anything I need to repent of and is there anything I need to renounce? Have I, have I agreed with the enemy in some way? Have I, have I left my front door wide open so that the enemy can come in and can harass and oppress me? Some of you need to reach out to church community. You need to let your friends know that you're struggling in this way. Some of you need to reach out to the elders of the church. We love you, would love to pray for you, anoint you with oil and take authority over evil spirits in Jesus' name. Some of you uh, need to seek to be filled with the spirit and the word. You want these evil spirits to leave you alone? Be filled with the spirit, be filled with the truth of his word. But the good news is this, no matter what you're experiencing, Christ has won. The battle is over, the, 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 the war is a guaranteed victory. We're still slugging it out, but we can take hope. We can take heart. We can take confidence knowing that our Savior has won. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus, we have received the ultimate deliverance from evil. That's good news, amen? Let me, let me just close with, with this thought. Closing the whole series down. I have personally appreciated the opportunity to, uh, to preach All six weeks of this series, the Teach Us to Pray series, I asked the elders back in the summer if I could do all six weeks in a row, and they said yes, and uh, I think as we get into Hebrews here, we'll start rotating back up a little bit more, but this is a a passion of mine. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Sound City Bible Church, I am praying that God would help us to be a people of prayer. I am asking that we would not move on from this six-week sermon series, but that we would be people who pray all the time. We'd be people who, when somebody shares a, a hardship or something they're going through, we'd say, well, can I just pray for you right now? That when we gather together with our community groups, it wouldn't just be about opening books and studying and getting right answers, which is great. I love all that nerdy stuff. It's great. But that we'd stop and take time to pray for each other. That when we do things in, in services like this, we'd seek to, to let our voices, our songs be heard to God as a prayer. I want us to be people of prayer who, who, who pray the gospel. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for sending Jesus to to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for adopting me into your family that I can call you Father. I want us to be people of prayer who, who praise and worship and adore God. God, you're so good. You're so beautiful. You're so delightful. You're so lovely. Hallowed be your name. Be people who pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. God, there's things that are broken and they're out of alignment. We're asking that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in these various situations. To be people who say, give us this day our daily bread, who who ask for provision. God, we are weak and we're needy and you're the bread of life and we need you more now than we ever have. To be people who repent and forgive, who don't do one or the other, but who uh, freely engage in both. God, forgive me of my participation in evil and help me to forgive those who have done evil to me. And then to be people who engage in the battle, going out of here, leaving this place knowing that a war is raging, but our great champion Jesus is leading us and we have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. Anybody here wanna be those type of people? Anybody here wanna be that type of church? That's my heart, that's my prayer for us. In line with that, I'm going to call us to a time of response now. We're going to respond as we do in a variety of ways. The first way is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. If the financial stewards would please come forward. Let me just say two things on that. If you're a guest or a visitor with us, uh, you're not under any obligation to give. You're welcome to if you'd like. But we want to do this as an act of worship to God voluntarily. Second, I would say, uh, if you don't carry cash or check, you can find ways to give online uh, on your Connect card that you were handed on the way through the door. While they're collecting the offering, let me uh, go over a few discussion questions for this week in community uh, for you guys to talk about in your homes as well. What is the difference between temptation and testing and how are the two related? Number two, read 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, a little bit of Bible study follow up homework. What is God's purpose in allowing his people to be tested? This is uh, the Apostle Paul and the thorn in the flesh. It's a, a very interesting, often debated passage. Read through that. Number three, what does the fact that we must regularly pray for spiritual protection tell us about our lives? And number four, what is God doing now about evil and what will he do ultimately? In addition to discussion questions, there's some prayer points I have the guys put up there. Uh, Pray that the enemy's plans for us individually and as a church would be thwarted. You know that the enemy uh, has things that he wants to see happen. We're going to pray against that. Pray that God's will would be done in our lives and in our church. Uh, Let me just say this. I am so incredibly thankful for the work that God has done in our church over the last nine months. Um, And I'm seeing, and your elders are seeing, we've had conversations recently, ways in which uh, we see the enemy wanting to bring attack. And so let's pray against the enemy and let's pray that we'd stay focused on God's will for us. Number three, pray that when we experience temptation, we would run to Jesus. And pray for those who are lost. Pray for those who are ensnared by the enemy that they would come to know the freedom that comes from belonging to Jesus. We're going to celebrate with the Lord's table in just a minute, the, the the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that is the defeat of evil. This will be a great time of celebration, church, as we take this bread and we dip it into the wine or the juice. We get to remember that what looked like the greatest defeat of God was actually his greatest victory. This will be a celebration, amen, church? And we're going to sing and we're going to rejoice. But first, one last time in this series, we're going to gather up into some groups and we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer as a church family. Now, for the few of you who just had your heart drop into your stomach here, let me say this. You are welcome to, to sit by yourself. Just pray, reflect. You're totally, uh, totally uh, welcome to do that. But if you would consider being brave and gathering up with maybe two or three people who are sitting around you and spending a few minutes praying over these things. You can pray for your own lives individually. You can pray over your community group. You can pray for people who you know that would uh, that need to hear about the freedom that's in Jesus Christ. But we're going to pray. Amen, church? A few of you guys look scared. You look scared. Are you not, You're not scared, right? All right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna count to three. You guys look around, see who you might wanna huddle up with. We're gonna pray for three or four minutes. I'm gonna count to three and then we'll spend some time in prayer. Ready? One, two, three. Let's pray, church.